What I've learned in my time in the US is that the larger energy market can be a pretty volatile market at times. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. And so if you want to be in this industry, resiliency is probably a key attribute from my perspective that you really need because it gets tough, but you need to keep going through it. And then at the end of those tough periods, it's where the real highs come in. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangent. So let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I wanted to personally invite you to the Renew Energy and the Solar Maverick Holiday Fundraiser Networking Event that we're having on Tuesday, December 5th from 6 to 10 p.m. in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is right across the water from New York City at Hudson Hall, which is a Czech beer garden smokehouse that I'm one of the owners. It's $64 to attend. The admission fee goes to two charities that we're fundraising at the event, which is Let's Share the Sun Valley which we've had on two episodes of the Solar Maverick podcast and the local Boys and Girls Club. And it also covers our expenses for the event. Appetizers will be served. We're also partnering with Grandstand Sports and Memorabilia. They'll be selling memorabilia proceeds that go to charity. At our last two events, we've raised 1500 for each of these charities. If you're interested in sponsoring the event, please email us at info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you can make it. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have Garen Bischoff from Summit Ridge Energy on the Solar Maverick Podcast. Garen, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you being a listener to the podcast. We've known each other a very long time and glad to finally have you on the podcast. Garen, welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Benoit. Been a long time listener since day one. So slick to be here. Really appreciate this. Garen's the VP at Summit Ridge Energy. He's VP of Business Development. And you are a maverick yourself. I've mean, been in the solar industry now, I think it's since maybe 2010 when you were working in solar in Johannesburg. And you've worked at Sun Edison, IGS Energy, PV Pros, and Summit Ridge Energy. It would be great if you could talk about Summit Ridge Energy if people are not familiar with the company and specifically your role. We are a developer, acquirer, financier, and long-term owner-operator within the commercial solar space with particular focus on the community solar market. So we've been in business since about 2017 when Steve Radar, our CEO, and a number of his partners launched the business with a handful of us that came across that worked with the team at Sun Edison initially and a couple of key employees that came and joined from other companies. And so, yeah, we've been around now six years. The business has grown tremendously. I think you know, sort of to date, we doubled the business every year. And, you know, we just keep going from strength to strength, to be honest. We focus very much in terms of what we are good at, which is either developing our own projects to NTP or acquiring projects from some fantastic development partners that we have across the country and then get those projects financed, get them built by local EPC shops and then operate them over the long term to ensure that we can provide savings and benefits to our entire customer base that subscribe to these projects. My particular role is in business development. As you mentioned, I'm a VP of business development here. My role initially started off 
at the company doing a number of tasks or I had a number of responsibilities. But as we've grown and gotten bigger, we've been able to sort of hire in team members that are a lot better at some of those tasks that I was fairly average at. And so, so, you know, found my path down the project acquisition route. And so I do a lot of project acquisition, probably spend about 30% of my time assisting with state policy around the country. Yeah, it's amazing the Summit Ridge story and how quickly, as you said, doubling every year and one of the largest owner of solar assets in the U.S. And Garen actually had Steve Rader on episode 26 of the Solar Maverick podcast. He actually reached out to me copying Steve to have Steve on the podcast. That's an amazing interview that we'll have in the notes of the podcast. And also episode 87, when it was Steve Rader and Brian Dunn, who's the CFO of Summit Ridge Energy. And if you want, we'll have that in the notes of the podcast and you could learn more about the Summit Ridge story from that as well. We're specifically actually actually talking about a press release that once this episode comes out, this press release will be out. And it's about how Summit Ridge Energy becomes the market leader in Virginia with the 100 megawatt community solar portfolio. And it's 19 projects that will lower electricity rates for low-income households throughout the Commonwealth. And Garen was instrumental on working this with Summit Ridge Energy with seven different partners where they obtained the project. Garen would be great to learn more about this press release and this amazing and exciting news of acquisition of all these projects in the state of Virginia and the $250 million investment that the company is making into these community solar projects in Virginia. Yeah, thank you. It's something that myself and the team are incredibly proud of. It's been so 18 months of active work with seven developers in the state that we partnered with to acquire their projects. I went back and had a look the other day to see when did we first turn our attention to the Virginia market. And I saw that within a month or two, it's about three years ago that I sent the first internal email to the group within Summit Ridge Energy saying the Virginia market's coming. So let's get prepared and get ourselves well positioned to ensure that we make a bit of a splash within our home state. Summit Ridge Energy is headquartered in Arlington, Virginia. So the Commonwealth of Virginia being our home state, it was important for us to really ensure that we played a meaningful role within the community solar or in Virginia, it's called the shared solar space. And we are fortunate enough that we had seven partners who we had transacted with in the Bible, six we had transacted with in the past. One was fairly neat in terms of working with them. But yeah, we had seven great partners who did an amazing job of getting their projects through permitting, through interconnection, getting them pretty much shovel ready and then allowing us to come in, acquire those projects and then take the torch and get those projects built. So we have just started construction on our first projects. And so over the next, say, six months, we will be rolling out construction starts across all the entire portfolio. Oh, that's exciting news. And how do you think Summit Ridge is able to dominate the market or differentiate from other investors in the industry? Obviously, there's a lot of competition when you're looking to buy projects at notice to proceed. How do you think Summit Ridge is able to differentiate themselves from other investors in the market? As I alluded to, I think it starts with planning early on. It feels like on a daily basis, a lot can change in the solar industry. If you're really getting ready to go and acquire projects in the market, and you want to be a long-term operator, start sort of years before, right, when legislation is first introduced. And so whether it be Maryland, Maine, Illinois, or Virginia, a strong core markets where we've been really successful, it starts with us really looking at the beginning at the legislation that is introduced, right, to introduce a community solar program or a shared solar program in the state, where we'll do a deep dive on what is the market structure, what is the structure of the bull credit, 
it right? Is it supply and distribution? Is it transmission? Is it off you know, the price to compare? Does the project get wrecks? Does the utility keep the wrecks? And so it starts there. We start analyzing the market, start at analyzing what is the revenue structure? What is the offtake structure? Are we selling the power to schools and hospitals? Are we selling them to families? Are we selling them to low-income households, right? And so it starts at that moment where we analyze the market and then we start building our case in terms of what is the risk profile, which one of our investors and financial partners would be most suited to that particular market. And then what is the risk actually building the projects, right? So in Virginia, you have a lot of stormwater permitting issues and well, not permitting issues, sort of stormwater permitting requirements because in Virginia, it's a very big focus in the state in terms of ensuring that there's no water or sediment runoff into the surrounding areas. And so we start building our case from that perspective in terms of what is the revenue, what is the offtake structure, what is it going to take us to build these projects, what are the physical attributes of the state, and then what is the long-term ownership structure? Do we get to provide savings directly to the customers ourselves? Does it go through the utility? And so that all sort of builds up over a number of years where we're analyzing it and ensuring that we have sort of all risk tied off, get comfortable with the market. And so by the time it comes, you know, the market opens and our partners have projects ready to go, we're able to go and offer competitive pricing, but also give our developers the comfort that we know exactly what we're talking about in the market. Because what's happened now, as our industry has matured and it's grown over the last few years, the development community is no longer just a couple of guys and when pickup trucks, right? There's always that joke that was going around. Now it's very large, very sophisticated. A lot of them are owned by larger parents. And so they want to ensure then they are the ones that generally take these projects and get them permitted through the local counties or towns or municipalities. And so for them, their name and their brand is attached to the project. So they also want to know that if they're going to sell the project onto a long-term owner operator like ourselves, that we're going to take that project and we're going to do the best possible job, right? To make sure that everything goes smoothly and that it's a successful project at the end. And so it takes a lot of work, but at the end, it's all worth it. It's amazing to see how many projects you acquired in Virginia. And would you buy or purchase projects before it reaches construction ready or notice to proceed? We generally purchase projects, you would call them sort of NTP ready or shovel ready. Once they have signed information agreements, they have capacity in whichever program and structure that it is in that particular state. We have all real estate documents wrapped up and we have all non-ministerial permits and ready to go. That's generally when some judge energy would step in. We would do diligence for a couple of weeks with the developers. Once we feel that everything is ready and signed off on, we'll close with the developers and we'll take the project on from that moment forward. And you know, we have a pretty large and sophisticated ops team made out of engineers of various disciplines and a project management team who will then take the project, work with local ECs and ensure that we get these projects built on time and on budget. Yeah, those things are great ways of being able to differentiate the market. Summit Ridge focuses on owning, operating commercial solar assets. You mentioned how some SRE, I guess that's abbreviation if people don't know, Summit Ridge Energies, SRE. Like what markets outside of Virginia are you focused on in the U.S.? Obviously, there's a lot of excitement in the industry with the Inflation Reduction Act or IRA. It would be great to get your perspective. I know that you look and do a lot of research in all the different markets. And obviously, you saw 
saw the early opportunity, Garrett and Virginia and helped Summit Ridge take advantage of that opportunity and own a significant amount of community solar assets in Virginia. So it'd be great to get your perspective on that. When we go into our market, we like to go pretty big. Yes, every now and again, the stars align and you know, the hard work we put in, it pays off. And so that's really worked for us in Maryland, Maine, Illinois, and Virginia, where I do believe that we are the largest own operator of community solar projects in each of those states. So those are our four key markets. And then we've also done work in the New York market, New York State and New York City. We own a couple of DG storage projects on the Vita tariff over there, which is very cool and a bit of a change for us from community solar going into DG storage. Then we've done work in upstate New York in the Northeast, Massachusetts. I think like most developers or companies within our space, look into the new markets that potentially open, right? Being California, Michigan, Pennsylvania, or any other that might come over the line. And hopefully by the end of Q2 of next year. So we're all crossing fingers, yeah? And yeah, we'll be ready to make our moves when the time comes. Yeah, that was actually really interesting. Like you are doing distributed generation storage. Is that behind the meter or front of the meter? Front of the meter, front of the meter. In New York City, they have a program for DG storage, similar to the community solar projects, right? It's a Vita tariff where we're able to generate bulk credits and provide savings to customers over the long term. And as part of New York City diversifying their energy mix and providing more resiliency to the grid. And so, yeah, we're fortunate that we have two projects that we managed to get across the line over there. That's amazing. And how big approximately are these projects? Stand corrected on the exact detail, but I believe they're like 20 megawatt hours each. So firmly in the DG storage space, particularly in New York City, where you really are space constrained. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I know there's a lot of rules with lithium ion batteries and the fire code with the FDNY, the fire department and their rules with storage. And then also the Vitor stack, right? You're able to do like a locational or the DER locational system relief value and some of these other things to basically that are very high to make it make sense to do that. So that's pretty interesting to hear. Yeah. And I think also because it was fairly new for us, I think it was fairly new for the city too. So a lot of hard work from our operations and development team and collaboration with the the FDNY in terms of getting there with the permits, right? A lot of sharing of knowledge and resources and figuring it out. But yeah, ultimately we got there. It's amazing to me to see like how you guys really get early into a market and are the first movers. And I feel like that's been very advantageous to your success. When you talk about like Illinois, how you won in the solicitation, most of the projects for community solar, similar to Maryland and Virginia, and then obviously New York City with the front of the meter store. So that's really interesting to hear more about that. Early on, we were a fairly small company. We had done a couple of projects in Massachusetts and in Maryland. And then the Illinois market came around and our executive team made a couple of big bets, which paid off, which was pretty amazing to see and be at the front line of that. And I stand corrected, but I believe we were a company of 18 to 20 individuals within Summitridge Energy at the time. And we ended up with like 36 Illinois community solar projects. You know, our strength has always been our ability to finance projects. That really is our strength. We have an incredible project finance team who work really hard with our JV partners, with our tax equity partners, with our development and construction lenders. And they're really at, at sort of the cutting edge of financing these projects. And that's always been our strength. And so we did the upfront work. So it's 18 of us and we went out and we ended up with 36 projects. And then suddenly you have 36 projects. 
and now you need to build them. And so we went and over the years, we've just built out our operations team. And so we are very much a process and efficiency driven organization at this time. We very much focus on execution. We have a number of execution calls every week, bi-week, monthly and quarterly, just to ensure that we are tracking. Because as of today, we currently have 65 projects under construction. That's from sort of, if you think of a triangle from Virginia up to Maine and across to Illinois and down. So within that triangle, we have 65 projects under construction. Within this year, we're probably going to FNTP another 80 projects within 2023. They're also to FNTP 80. We have 65 under construction. And so if you think about it, at any given time, we have projects that we're FNTP, projects that are hitting mechanical completion, earlier stage or later stage projects that are now SCing. And so we have a tremendous amount of projects that we need to get built and pushed through the machine. And so that moment, particularly where we ended up 18 to 24 months into the business, that was the moment where we really had to sort of get our processes and our efficiencies in place. It's quite a lot. You forget, like even though these are DG projects that range in size from two megawatts AC to five megawatts AC, you still need to do the same work for a project, right? Whether it's two megs or a hundred megs, there's still all that early work that you need to get taken care of. And so it's incredible how we've managed to build a team that really focuses on execution pretty much on a daily basis. It's amazing with the small team, what you're able to do with all that. And what I think about too is like, you know, a lot of these are community solar projects. So you have to partner with the customer acquisition companies to make sure certain percentage of the offtake is committed at certain times and that adds complexity as well. Well, I know you're hiring third parties with the billing and things like that, which makes community solar more challenging, but higher margins because it's a residential offtake versus utility. Yeah, you make a good point. It's something it's sort of want to elaborate on because the thing is that you find is that not every community solar market is built equally, right? Or structured. And so one partner that might be great for one market might not be great for another market, purely just based on the structure of that particular market, right? So we're very fortunate that we have a great group of investors and lenders that we work with. The aggregators that you mentioned, we work with all of them across the board in all the states. And then same with the EPCs. We have a lot of great partners that we use to build our projects in specific regions where it sort of complements the strengths that they can bring to the party. Yeah, that's a great point too. Like if you have great partners, as you mentioned, customer acquisition, EPCs, tax equity investors, I'm sure legal, and then internally as well, that's the way that you're able to scale what you're doing, which is pretty amazing. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast is Schwerd Consulting. Schwerd Consulting is a leading solar consulting firm dedicated to design, engineering, owner's representation, and technical consulting in all areas of solar, photovoltaics, and energy storage for the commercial, industrial, and utility markets. At Schwerd Consulting, they like to say, we know solar, we just don't do solar. What sets them apart is their 100% focus on solar, while having an extensive background in building and utility engineering and understanding the business of our clients. We're, they're involved with the trends, technologies, vendors, policies, utilities, codes, and financial considerations for the industry. Therefore, value add for them is not just a slogan, it's what they practice in order to have a loyal customer base and gain trust. Short Consulting has been in business for nine years and has provided services for approximately one gigawatt of PV across over 800 sites and 17 states 
markets plus the Caribbean. Let Schwartz Consulting take the burden off of you and bring ease and expertise in all areas of engineering and design or help you navigate the technical world of solar. If you're interested in learning more about Schwartz Consulting, you call them at 215-219-6718. That's 215-219-6718 or email to admin at schwartzconsulting.com. Schwartz Consulting's website is www.schwartzconsulting.com. We'll also have that in the notes of the podcast. I've known Steve for 15 years. Him and his team does an amazing job with their clients, and I appreciate him supporting the podcast. And he's also been on several episodes of the Solar Maverick podcast. So definitely check it out through our catalog. And thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Can you talk about like the growth of the company? I mean, you were one of the first employees at Summit Ridge Energy and how has that been like obviously doubling each year? And I don't know like how many people now are at Summit Ridge, but I'm sure you're wearing a lot of different hats. You're an entrepreneur and a very entrepreneurial company. It would be interesting to get your perspective on like what you've learned through the whole process. And now I think it's been more than four years you've been at Summit Ridge. I think five. Oh, five years. Yeah, I would say it's been an incredible journey. You're part of this business that starts up and we're really small, just sort of finding our feet right. And the goal always from the beginning was we only do good projects. The goal is to be a profitable company from day one. And so, you know, that is the focus. The focus was quality over quantity. At the start, we all wore a number of hats, right? So I did a bit of land, calling on landowners and, you know, signing land options, trying to sign off take a bit of, you know, filling out RFPs and doing policy, doing acquisition. And so as we've managed to grow over the years, and the team was a lot smaller then, right? So we all wore various hats and that was the core small team. But as we've managed to grow, it's amazing that we have brought in incredible team members who've been able to do roles that we were doing, but better than us, right? So we have a land team now that are incredible. We have an amazing policy team. We have an amazing team that looks after our offtake. Our project finance team, as I mentioned, is very well flushed out. Our engineering team is incredible. I just have such faith in our engineering team. So as we managed to grow, we've managed to bring in experts in nuanced roles, which has really helped us sort of sharpen our pencil, but also allowed us to scale and allows us to sort of double our growth every year. But I would say in terms of being at Summit Ridge Energy over the years, we started very small into where we've ended up now. I think we have 130 employees. We've done about $1.6 billion of capital to work. That gets to $2 billion very quickly, right, with the passing of the IRA. But I think the main sort of theme at Summit Ridge Energy is just resiliency. Like you have to have resiliency. We've had so many challenges that we've had to overcome. And a lot of the time it's sort of macro influences out of our control, right? I remember when the tariff cases came in, how many years ago was that? Four years ago, you know, the start of that, that was going to be a challenge for us. At the time we were small and so we had to navigate that. Like what happens now with these increases in costs on our modules? It was also start of COVID. We had 30 projects under construction and we had to go tools down and the tax equity market just disappeared. Majority of the people in our company picking up the phone to try and find tax equity investors, CEO, CFO, sales guys, everyone just hitting the phones, finding tax equity investors during COVID because there was so much uncertainty in the market that no one wanted to commit. But we managed to get all those projects built. We got tax equity committed to every single one of them. We got them through. And then I'd also say the last 12 to 18 months, 
moments, there's been a lot of volatility in the market with the rates rising. And I think just in the same way that you would have the property market dealing with rising rates, so has the solar industry. We've been dealing with rising rates too, but we've managed to navigate that pretty well, which I think is proven by the fact that we've managed to acquire these 19 projects from our partners in Virginia and get them financed. And so, yeah, I think the main attribute of someone who works at Summitridge Energy is someone who can focus on execution and someone who's very resilient because it's very important. Oh, yeah, that's interesting to hear just like in the brief five years and five months. I forget about all these things that happen within the solar space because, you know, it's the solar coaster and there's always things. But you're right, being resilient and being focused on execution and wearing multiple hats. And that's part of the major reason for your success, because when I'm thinking about it, this actually goes back to the story of how you met Steve Rader, who's the CEO and founder of Summit Ridge Energy. You both worked together at Sun Edison. Garen's originally from South Africa, had experience in solar there and wanted to work in solar in the US. And you've been, by the way, in several solar coasters in your long <laughs> career. I'm sure there's so many <laughs> interesting points that you've learned, like obviously Sun Edison and seeing the great growth that it had and then what happened. I know I just asked you like multiple questions, but it would be great if you could talk about your background in solar, what got you interested in your career path? Because I feel like a lot of people could learn because the two phrases that you said, execution and resilience, is the reason that you've been staying on top of the solar coaster. Yeah, I would say I sort of got into the industry fortuitously. I finished college, had a degree. My girlfriend at the time, my wife now, the two of us been traveling for a year, came back to South Africa and many jobs at the time. I remember it was like just after the great financial recession, whatever we're calling it these days. The job market was pretty tight in South Africa. And, and I remember the only role I could get was a sales role. I wanted something else. I got a sales role and I was like, okay, let me give it a go. It was an international tax. I did that for a year. I was very fortunate as a first role. I got to travel around the world. All of my sales meetings were in Europe and it was pretty amazing in terms of that part. But the actual job, it was international tax. I was so bored with the product I was selling. It was really tough. And I was like, let me stick this out for a year. And one day I was at a very good friend's house and his dad walked in and his dad was the CFO of a major private power company or independent power company in South Africa. And he walked into the house and he sort of declared to his family that he had just quit his role as the CFO of this multi-billion dollar company and was going to go start a solar company. He'd been doing this on the side, sort of at a side hustle with a couple of investors. And he mentioned it and we were there and I asked him, what exactly is it that you're doing? Showed me what they were doing. And it was like at that moment, it was like instantaneous. And I was like, I am in. And I was like, please give me a role. And he was like, I'm a company of one. I've got a couple of investors. I'm a company of one. There's like, there are no roles here. And I was like, I'll do anything. And so I actually worked free for about 18 months. I was like, I'm just going to get in. You don't need to pay me. I just need to get in here. And it was incredible because at that time, what was happening in South Africa is that we have one state-owned utility, some not so great scenario planning. South Africa ended up in a position where we had more demand than we had supply. So the demand was higher than supply in terms of generating assets that the national utility had available. And so they had to implement this program called load share. And so what would happen was is that for a couple of hours a day in certain regions, 
cities around the country, the utility would just turn off the grid and be like, okay, we have, there's too much demand. So we're just going to shut the grid off in certain parts. So we ensure the safety and integrity of the grid. And so what would happen was, is that in some places in Johannesburg and the financial district of South Africa, you would have people in the morning coming into work, sitting in traffic jams for hours on end because the power was off and all the traffic lights weren't working. And so not only were you shutting off power and then all businesses had to go and sort of figure out their own energy needs on their own in terms of diesel generators, solar, storage, hybrid systems. You also had a majority of your employees sitting in traffic for three hours a day. There was a study that came out showing how much money it was costing the economy. And my friend's dad had figured out a solution to power the traffic lights in the financial district of South Africa with solar. And we had five days of battery backup. And it was just leading up to the 2010 World Cup. And we found a pretty unique revenue model where we would build these structures at the traffic intersections with solar panels right at the top. We would have battery banks down on the ground in these concrete casings ventilated. And what we would do is, is on the actual structure on the front, we turned it into billboards. So like outdoor advertising. And so what we would do is, is we would go and we would install these systems on our own dime. And then we would go to all corporates around South Africa. And at the time, green energy, sustainability, all those key phrases, they weren't really big, but we knew there were a number of corporates that were really focused on conservation. And so we went and knocked on their doors first and we said, hey, we have these systems. We're going to be powering the traffic lights with solar power and battery backup. And it's a perfect location in terms of the amount of customers that are coming, or amount of citizens that are coming in and out every day. You guys should advertise it again. So it worked really well. Did that for a number of years, branched out and worked in the outdoor billboard space in Africa, figuring out solutions to power billboards with solar power. Learned a couple of harsh lessons about how systems work. You know, I got uh, I, the sales guy, designed a system. I guys in the workshop to build it <laughs> and then got the operations guys to go and install it in Maputo in Mozambique. And three weeks later, the system wasn't working because I'd forgot to vent the housing for the batteries. And so our 10-year battery lasted a couple of weeks. A lot of lessons learned. And then we did a number of cool things. In South Africa, the government builds a lot of low-income homes for its citizens. And one of the constraints there too is getting utilities to these homes. And so we did a couple of systems where we powered them with solar and battery backup before the utility could even get to lay there. No, I had a great time, but then the opportunity came to come to the US. My wife and I were like, okay, let's do it. And I started calling around and turns out there was no need for someone who was doing $3,000 no off-grid solar systems with LED lights and a single battery. And so I like looked around and I saw there were two companies. First solar was in Cape Town, Sun Edison was in Johannesburg. And so I approached a mutual friend that I knew at Sun Edison. I got in, I worked incredibly hard. At the time, my wife was already in the US and I was waiting for my visa. So I was sort of like a single man with no responsibilities. And so I just sat at the office until 10 o'clock every night, just absorbing everything. And I got in there was incredible. At the time, Sun Edison South Africa had, I think, a portfolio of about 700 megawatts that they'd been awarded and building out. And so I worked with them for 18 to 24 months. And when it was coming up that I knew my visa to move to the US was coming, my plan was to have, my goal was to have a job lined up because I didn't want to arrive in the US not knowing anyone, knowing that gone are the days of you just arrive at the front desk, drop your resume or front and someone's like, I'll get this to the right person. And so (laughs) I started calling around within Sun Edison. And even though we were this global company, it was very much a startup internally. It wasn't like an Anasa Bush where you go and find the regional sales director in the northeast of the US, right? And they contact leaders will pop up. I just started calling Google, 
deals, projects, sales guys in the US. And I just picked up the phone and I started calling individuals and be like, who are you? I'd be like, I'm Garen. I'm from South Africa. I work with Sun Edison. Who heads up the sales team in the US? Please, can you do an introduction? And eventually one gentleman, he said, reach out to Steve Rader. This gentleman said, reach out to Steve Rader. He has a couple of sales guys under him. So I reached out and I got hold of him. Remember, he was so busy at the time that I had a 15 second pitch. I was like, Steve, (laughs) in South Africa on the sales team, I'm coming to the US. I need to join your team. And he was like, great to meet you. Got to go. (laughs) And then he said, call me back. And I said, okay, I really wouldn't recommend this in hindsight, but I pretty much called him every day until he gave me a yes. Now knowing how busy we were and we had like three markets under him, it was the New York market, the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic, an entire team, the growth that Sun Edison was on, the fact that he took my call multiple times and eventually he said, okay, come, come join, you're in. And I arrived in the US and Steve put me in the Northeast market. And I started as a land guy. I just had to go around meeting farmers, trying to sign land options. And that's pretty much how it started and how I got you. That's an amazing story of persistence, resilience, hard work. And I appreciate you sharing because it's about never giving up and being confident in your skills and abilities. And a lot of people wouldn't take all those steps that you did to get that opportunity. And then look where it leads you to Summit Ridge Energy. And when he's building the team, you're one of the first people that he wanted to join. So that's exciting. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Really was. It gives a lot of people a motivation to keep on going. A lot of people get frustrated or once they start failing, they give up. But your story is a story of persistence. No, pleasure. And I think that's the thing right about our industry is that what I've learned in my time in the US is that the larger energy market can be a pretty volatile market at times. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. And so if you want to be in this industry, resiliency is probably a key attribute from my perspective that you really need because it gets tough, but you need to keep going through it. And then at the end of those tough periods, it's where the real highs come in. That's such great advice. And what trends are you seeing in the industry? Obviously, everyone's excited because the Inflation Reduction Act and that we have more certainty with incentives and some of the step up of incentives. And it would be great, Garen, just to get your perspective because you are exposed to a lot of different markets. And what do you see as the major trends happening in the industry? The main one that I think we're going to see a lot more in the coming years and the not too distant future right around the corner is that a lot more projects within the country are going to be built using domestic content, which is pretty exciting. So we had a we had a press release that came out a couple of months ago where there was a ground bank breaking with Hanwha Q-Cells and Summit Ridge Energy and the vice president down in Dalton, Georgia, where there's a massive factory and investment that our module partners have made. I think that's going to be the major trend moving forward. We now also know that some of our European suppliers who provide us with our inverters, our string inverters, are building factories in the US too. Know for a fact that the folks who provide us with transformers are actually expanding their facility as we speak. And so I think the exciting thing for us is really going to be the fact that in the not too distant future year, we're going to have projects that are going to be constructed with majority of components that have been manufactured within the United States. I think that's pretty cool that we actually got to this particular point. Those are great trends. And I think those are going to be huge going forward. And especially you mentioned during COVID where there was a challenge of getting supply that this should alleviate. And obviously the adders will help.
help make projects that wouldn't pencil pencil. So that's great. I think even just the fact that we as an industry interconnection is now in basis has been a massive change. So even at the 30% ITC with interconnection in basis, I think that was really, really incredible for our industry because outside of the adders that will come, I just think that particular change, being able to bring that cost in basis and our financial models has really helped a lot of projects that were sort of teetering on the edge of are they viable or not and sort of bring them into the green and just go and build them now. So that's been pretty amazing in terms of what I've seen from our side. Yeah, that's a great point. If people are not familiar in the IRA and the investment tax credit, they're allowing you to use the ITC benefit for interconnection costs, which they didn't previously. So Garen's talking about like projects that would not have penciled, have penciled because of that. So that's a really great point. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like I know there are all these benefits that are coming from uh, lowing community areas, energy communities, domestic content, low income offtake. But I think just on the base case, interconnection in basis has really helped our industry quite a bit. That portfolio in Virginia, the 100 megawatt community solar portfolio, I know you're focusing on giving the offtake to low moderate income communities in Virginia, which is great, obviously, having them be able to participate in solar, but also you get the adders as well in the ITC. So that's great that you're doing that. You talked about it before. You know, you're originally from South Africa. I took this actually from your LinkedIn profile, but in your LinkedIn profile, it said that everyone should live in Africa at one point of their life. Can you talk about why that's the case? I haven't been to South Africa. I have been to Egypt in Africa, but it would be great to get your perspective. When I first arrived in the US, I put that in my LinkedIn. I was trying to meet a lot of people. I put that line in my LinkedIn, reach out if you want to talk about why at some point everyone needs to live in Africa. And I completely forgot about it and no one's mentioned it. I think I've been here for eight years. No one's mentioned it. I went for a couple of months ago, someone reached out and they were like, hey, why should I live in Africa at some point in my life? And I was like, oh my, I completely forgot about it. This is amazing. Started chatting to this individual and then it turns out they just wanted to sell me some solar leads at the end. And I was like, oh man, oh man, I got duped. I'm very stoked and proud to be an American citizen now, but I'm also incredibly proud to be South African, my home country. And I think the thing is that what not a lot of people would know is that South Africa is actually incredibly culturally diverse. We have 11 official languages. The national anthem is made up of four different languages. It's just a melting pot of cultures in South Africa, which is pretty amazing. It's also incredibly sort of geographically diverse, right? In a country that's not that big to have a Mediterranean coastlines and wine regions and tropical areas similar to Florida and forested areas and dry, arid areas, deserts, savanna grasslands and areas where we have safari in the bush. It's just incredibly culturally diverse and then also geographically diverse. And so it's just an incredible place. And, and the thing is, is that there's every like an energy and a spirit in Africa, which you won't really know until you've been there. You know, we have a saying that you don't visit South Africa, you meet South Africa. And I just think it really encapsulates the spirit of the country and what it has to offer. So I haven't heard of anyone going and having a terrible time. I've only ever heard amazing things. So whether it's wine country or cultural sites you want to see, or if you want to go on safari, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to go. And I'll let you know when I go to get suggestions because I know a lot of South Africans and they seem to get along well. I love the transparency and honesty. Yeah, we were very sociable. You only realize that once you leave your country, spend a little time out of it and go back. Yes, for sure. And every time I go back, South Africans 
very friendly and we talk a lot. In public places, the Arrogan's always talking. So just be ready to engage. <laughs> obviously, you know this. I used to work at Tesla Solar City. He was the head of project finance. And obviously, he's from South Africa and his brother, Peter, and then their cousin, Elon. And it's really amazing to see South Africans leading the clean energy revolution. You're part of that. So it is great to see, particularly those guys, right? Coming from a small company and just adding value on the global stage. Always makes you proud. Well, this has been an amazing interview, Garen. I appreciate you making the time today. And I appreciate you being an early listener of the podcast as well. If our audience, who you know, we call Mavericks, are interested in learning more about Summit Ridge or yourself, what's the best way for them to do that? They can either reach out to me on LinkedIn. You just find me, Garen Bischoff, on LinkedIn. Or particularly with our company, you can go on to srenergy.com and you can learn more about Summit Ridge Energy over there. We'll have that on the notes of the podcast. We'll also have a link to the press release related to Summit Ridge acquisition of the 100 megawatt community solar portfolio in Virginia. We'll also have the two other episodes at Summit Ridge Energy has been on the Solar Maverick podcast, which I thank Garen for making the introduction to getting Steve onto the podcast. And then Steve really enjoyed it and then wanted to do it again with Brian, the CFO. So I appreciate Summit Ridge wanting to be on the podcast and sharing your story because I think a lot of people have loved the interviews from Summit Ridge on the Solar Maverick podcast. So thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown. Hold up. 